Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Legends podcast on this beautiful April day, 2021 more than a year into the coronavirus debacle or whatever that means for you. Um, today, I am absolutely thrilled to be introducing the story of Karen Hill Anton, who approached me a couple of weeks ago and I've since started reading her book. So welcome, Karen. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be speaking with you, Sarah. Absolutely thrilled. And um, I, of course, I've been living in Japan for a long time now. So somewhere, Karen has been kind of on my radar, but I've never met her before. So this is our first time to meet and her story is amazing. And you know, I believe everybody has stories and I want to hear them and tell them. And there are many many ways to lead a life and what a life we are about to hear about. So, um, okay, I like to just throw in a fun fact before I do the official uh, bio of a person is this. Um, I'm a really slow reader. I also love social media. So I've kind of let my reading habits slip recently. And I said to um, Karen, I'm gonna order your book so I can just dip into it. And she said, you won't be able to put it down. She was right. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the beautiful book. It's called The View from Breast Pocket Mountain. And that title itself is so enticing, but it doesn't say anything about the amazing content of this book. And just to give you some idea before I give her a bio, before I got to page 50, Karen had introduced me to her relationship with Joseph Heller, Nana Cherry's dad, and the Steve Miller band. <laughs> And that was just in passing. So I, that gives you some indication of what a, what a rich experience we're about to dip into and what an incredible woman Karen is too. So about Karen. Karen Hill Anton wrote the popular column Crossing Cultures for the Japan Times and Another Look for Chinichi Shimbun for 15 years. She is a cross-cultural competence consultant and coach. Karen lectures widely on her experience of cross-cultural adaptation and raising four bilingual bicultural children. And she served on the Internationalization in Education and Society Advisory Councils of Prime Ministers Obuchi and Hashimoto. 
Her work appears in The Broken Bridge, Fiction from Expatriates in Literary Japan by Stonebridge Press. Originally from New York, she's achieved second degree mastery in Japanese calligraphy and has lived with her husband, William Anton, in rural Shizuoka since 1975. Her memoir, The View from Breast Pocket Mountain, has been awarded the Book Readers Appreciation Group Medallion, and I can totally understand why. I love it. So, Karen, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. Okay, so I always kick off with this question. Tell us about your background, your childhood, and your ancestry. Okay, my background and childhood would, well, begin in New York City. I grew up in the Washington Heights area of New York City. I was raised by my father. Um, he was a single parent because my mother had been institutionalized. And I, I write about this um, in, in the early part of the book in some detail. Um, I, so I, th I think I started out with, well, a somewhat unusual perspective and experience in, in, in as much as my father took over the child raising of three young children. Uh, my brother was a year older than I uh, was, my sister a year younger when our mother was institutionalized. So we were three, two and one years old, basically. And um, so I, I certainly started out um, one, uh, knowing that men could do what, what women could do, at least to, to some extent, because my, my uh, father, in addition to, to working, also did all of the yeah, yeah, domestic responsibilities in a, in a home, uh, which you know included everything from cooking and, and cleaning and ironing our dresses because then that was a time when uh, girls wore dresses that needed to be ironed, um, you know, and, and braiding our, our hair, etc. Et so th those were uh, my beginnings. My, my father was from the Delta region of Mississippi. He was born I think it was 1894, 1896, I, I don't remember, and attended mm -hmm. the Hampton Institute, which at that time was one of the few, if not the only, um, institutions of higher learning where Black people uh, were, were accepted, and, and also uh, Native Americans. So, um, and, and yeah, in his graduation class I, I, in 1917, I think, yeah, probably a third of the uh, graduating students were uh, Native Americans. Yeah. And let's see, um, and, and on my mother's side, her, her uh, family was from the West Indies, from J Jamaica and St. Vincent. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So. Of course, I've, I've read some of the background of this. It sounds like, an, uh, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned it as an unusual upbringing and perspective and experience. And one of the things that I really love about the way that you tell this story is you tell it quite straightforwardly, I should say, without ever kind of making anybody a victim or making anybody, and, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's right. nothing wrong with stating when that's present, but 
the way you tell the story feels so empowering to me. I've actually got goosebumps now thinking about it. It feels very, and it fills me with confidence and it fills me with a way to tell stories in a, in a really just very straightforward way. And I, I super enjoyed that about the about the the opening of the book but I'm really interested in that story of your mum and dad as well because he was he was a bit older I think he was about my age and your mum was quite young when they when they got together that's a, an interesting I think you say in the book that there's nobody to ask about that and nobody was left to ask <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it is an interesting uh, story uh, because my father was 50 when he married my mother and she was 18 yeah and of course growing up they're your parents, you don't yeah. you know, really question it or even uh, think about it. But you know, um, as the years went on, and you know, and I be became an, an adult, yeah, I became curious. Mm. But um, whether I'm curious or, or not, uh, I don't think I could have an, an answer to that question. No. And, and there is no one in, in my family who, um, well, you know, uh, well, I don't have any family anymore. So start there, but. Um, there, there's no one that could answer that question. That lives in your imagination. Yeah, it's it's interesting when those dead ends appear, isn't it? My grandma also, she used to tell us her mum had died. And then when she was dying, she started to tell the truth that actually she'd, she'd run away. So it's just, you know, so many families hold these stories and hold them for so long. And then my dad, who's fast, not even his mom, my mom's mom, he was just fascinated with the family history. And he started to kind of dig around, dig around with our American relatives who were the older ones who were left and, mm -hmm. uh, and just try to find out what, what happened to her. So it's, it's, and, and got many different stories, right. names, right. occupations, and eventually followed a line that led him to her. But, um, but she had died, but it led him to the, to the answers. Right. Um, so these, these stories do live there. Do you have any, do you have any fantasies? I, when I say fantasies, I mean, these people and ideas live in our imagination. Mm -hmm. What kind of, and I'm fascinated by imagination as well, actually, Karen, mm -hmm. um, uh, what 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 is what what lives in your imagination there? If that's not too personal a question uh, uh, about them, yeah, actually not much. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, yeah you, you'd be surprised. I first of all I tend not to live in the past, and yeah, I wouldn't. I would say burden myself or yeah, um, create yeah anxiety ab about something that isn't really um important to me and i i think it wouldn't influence my life in, in, in any any way so i i'm i'm really not that concerned i'm, I'm curious i mean I, i'd be happy to know but i i wouldn't go delving or or think oh that's why i'm this, this way or <laughs> or what if it hadn't been that way that would that's my life uh, and you know, I, as I said, I, I write about it. I uh, was open uh, about it, and, and I've told the reader what I know, which is not much. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of you know how they they met or the fact that there was such a big age difference, I really do not know. No. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's it's beautifully put in the book actually, and very straightforwardly put in the book. And this, I think, maybe your tagline. We don't know yet, but I wouldn't burden myself or create anxiety around things that you don't are not important to you right. sage advice so um what was your dad like yeah 
And of course, I, I also write about him in uh, some detail in the book. It, I mean, it's so lo long ago now that uh, you know I, I had um, a relationship with my father, but he was, you know, being the only parent, he was uh, very big in my life. Um, and you know, long after I left home, I. I don't think I did anything, you know, in th those early years, you know, from the time I was 18 I, until my early 20s, where if I, um, yeah, made a move or a change or made a decision, it was always, you know, what, what would daddy think, you know, or what would he say, or what would he advise, or, you know, how might he chastise me uh, uh, for something. But um, yeah, he was, he was all important in, in my life. And yeah, it isn't so much that I had a great respect for him. I, I grew up at a time and, and he was from an era where th there was no, yeah, th there was no idea, no thought that a child would disrespect a, an older person. Mm -hmm. you know, and certainly not a, a, a parent um, mm -hmm. that could not be, be imagined. So uh, um, that was, I, I would say the, yeah, the the base of my uh, relationship. I, I respected my father, and of course, I I I loved him. I I I I, I thought he was absolutely everything. You know, yeah. I yeah, he, he filled um, yeah my world really. Yeah, I remember once um, my mother's mother, our grandmother, who was from the West Indian Indies, and would go back from time to time and. Once she um, said, you know, I, I want to take Karen with me the, the next time I go. I was still uh, quite young. I, I, I don't know if I was, I probably in, in still in grade school. And I said, yeah, I, I would like to go. But if you take daddy, <laughs> you know, that, that I, I you know, couldn't imagine going, you know, that far or going away, away from him in, in, in that way. And she said, no. I, you know, I would, would ju just take you uh, along with me. So I, I, I never went um, to the West Indies. Well, not, not then in any case. Mm, yeah. And you do mention in the book that you used to go and visit your mom in the, um, I, I just want to say like institutionalized means, because there's a lot of people who might not, who are younger generations who may not be familiar with that word. Can you just describe that? Well, I, uh, um, I guess you would say it was a mental institution. Okay. Um, but now that, and that's the thing too, it, uh, we have to think that this was, yeah, the forties, uh, I guess, you know, the, um, the mid forties and what we would even say now as a mental institution is probably a place where people meet regularly with therapists and, you know, are, you know, um, receiving you know, the, the proper medication or, or being, yeah. Um, how would you say it? encouraged or prepared you know, to see if they could re-enter uh, life you know, and society. But I think you know, part of the, the way when I say institutionalized is that I think she was put in a place and basically that was it. Yeah. From what, from what I un understand, um, I, would, I would doubt very much that she received anything that was called therapy. I, mm -hmm. I think it was more 
of a place where you know she could be kept, she could be uh, held, but not helped. Held, but not helped. Hmm. Interesting. But you used to visit her. Do you remember what she was like? Not, not more than what I wrote about it in the book, because she didn't, um, it was almost, you know, I would say she didn't really have a personality. So there wasn't, uh, I felt a person that I could connect with in any way. I, you know, I certainly couldn't have a conversation uh, with her. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she seemed, you know, gentle, um, but that word might have a connotation uh, for, for someone, you know, and even for, for yourself, you know, say someone is gentle, maybe the next thing you would say is that they were caring, but she wasn't a caring person. Right. She, you know, she, she didn't, you know, I, you know didn't, didn't have that faculty really, I would, I would say. All right. So I'd like to kind of move on to the next chapter now. What happens? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm keen to kind of move further into the future here. So mm -hmm. you you were in New York for quite some time. I mean, the open, I don't really want to say what the opening of the book is, because it's such a great way to get into the book. Yeah. But um, what happens next? And how do you end up meeting uh, your, uh, your I don't know. Let, let's take it from here. Where would you like to go from here, Karen? <laughs> okay. Well, from high school or? Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. So um, I went to George Washington High School, which is a, a public school in, in New York City at the very uh, northern end, end of Manhattan. And I, I think it was considered uh, a good school at the time, not, not one of these uh, you know, specialized schools in, in, in any way. I did relatively well. I was far from a standout uh, student, but but I, I did well well enough, but not well enough to have gotten good grades on, on the uh, SATs, the Scholastic Aptitude Test that mm -hmm. uh, prepare you for um, for college and, and and higher education. And in in any case, I I was very interested in, in dance at the time. And I, I applied myself to that, though I, I didn't know that, you know, I, I would uh, attempt to pursue a career as a professional modern dance dancer, but, but um, that's what I did. But um, during uh, high school, and this is probably one of, the, I guess, the seminal moments in my uh, adolescence, we had a teacher, an absolutely wonderful teacher, uh, Mr. William Spilka, who I, I write about in the book, who introduced us to the, the world of great art. And this was in the senior year of high school. It was the first time uh, this school had this, um, this course in their uh, curriculum, art history. The, before that, of course, you know, we had, yeah, the typical courses of, you know, mathematics and English and different science courses. And I, I think there was an art appreciation uh, course for something that, uh, very shallow. But the, this uh, particular course really went uh, quite deep into the, the world of art and started at, you know, at the, the very uh, beginning when yeah, humans uh, began to create art. And so, you know, with cave uh, paintings and Stonehenge and the, 
the Venus of, of Willendorf, and just what went right through and up until um, modern times. And of course, growing up in, in New York City, uh, much of the great art could be seen at the Metropolitan Museum, at the Martin Art, uh, etc. But he often spoke about the great museums of Europe, and he had he I would say almost open not not so much a Pandora's box, but you you know one could start to dream about the Prado or the Louvre, you know, the British Museum. I thought I you know would like to to see those one day and, and see the the um, the paintings that he, he spoke about at the Rijksmuseum. Uh, uh, see them for myself. And when I was 19, I uh, left New York City. <laughs> to, took my first flight, never been on an airplane before in my life and uh, went, went to Europe for the first time. Mm -hmm. And where did you land the first time? In London. Mm -hmm. London. One of the things I enjoyed reading was that, like, although you'd gone to go to the, like the museums, that was your original idea. You found you enjoyed wandering more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I did go to some museums, but it, it was soon apparent that the the world was, yeah, not more interesting, but this is where I, I could learn. This is where I could you know, interact with people of different cultures. This is where you know, I could hear uh, different languages. This is uh, where I could you know, eat foods I'd never heard of, let alone tasted. There, I mean, there was just so much. I, I mean, what, what, even thinking about it now, I just, the, the word that comes to mind, it was just so rich. I, I, it's a wonder I slept. And I could say maybe I barely slept. I, I literally ran around Europe for, for one year. Uh, I, I just couldn't get, get enough. I, and I was hitchhiking. I was mm -hmm. hitchhiking alone. Um, but yeah, I, I traveled the length and breadth of, of Europe that first year. It's amazing to think about doing that now, isn't it? It's just... Not <laughs> possible, not possible. Yeah. Someone said to me, "What if you know one of your daughters, you know, wanted uh, to do that when they were 19? And oh, it, I, I, I would not permit it. It is all I can say. <laughs> I would not permit it. It, yeah. could not, it could not happen. Yeah." I wonder what happened. There. Yeah, one of my mum's friends, um, her best friend actually, my my brother's god godmother, was also hitchhiked she's a, they're a similar similar age to you i think mm -hmm. and um she also hitchhiked around europe for a month and just lied to her mom she didn't even tell her mom she said she was doing something else i don't know what she yeah doing. right exactly I, i'm sure i didn't tell my father <laughs> i don't think <laughs> no. he would have grasped that i know he would not have liked it yeah i wonder what happened when did things become so dangerous i wonder yeah because by the time i was a similar age that was off limits although some people did some people who were really edgy did still yeah. had a go at that but um i did the railing instead like interrailing right. it become more formal by then right and even then i got robbed you know but it's all part of the fun isn't it <laughs> yeah definitely the world's changed it, it really has and things that yeah were possible even in my lifetime you know yeah. as a young woman yeah. are not possible now, just not possible. I, I wouldn't dream of such a thing now. And as I said, I, if any of my daughters wanted to do that, I, 
you know, I, I would forbid it. I, I don't know what else to say. I'd lie, yeah. on, the, lie on the tarmac and prevent the plane from time flying off, you know, whatever, taking off. Yeah. I can see the front page of the paper now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, you, at, around that time then as well, you met this very kind of flamboyant character uh, who became uh, your first child's... Father, right, uh, Don Coleman, Don uh -huh. Coleman. That, that was after I returned uh, from Europe. It was okay. in, uh, 66. And I could say he pretty much swept me off my, my feet. Um, he was a wonderful person in, in, in many ways, very, very intelligent. And as I, I write, he'd been um, recruited from Yale, or yeah, I guess it's just called recruited, um, because he was something of a computer genius at a time when yeah, people didn't know about computers in 66. I mean, as general not knowledge. I mean, now you, you couldn't mention the word computer now where um, that anyone, you know, is not only heard of them, but has some familiarity with, with them. But, but, but then it, it was really uh, something, and not novel, but it, it was new and, it, you know, and they were being uh, developed and Apparently he was uh, very good at it, um, programming, and I forget some, something else he, he did. But as I, I mentioned, he, he would have these huge manuals. You can't imagine they were just so large. And you know, I mean, the average person couldn't, couldn't read them. It, 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 wouldn't make it wouldn't make any uh, sense uh, to them. And, uh, and that, that was his, his work. But aside from the, um, his profession, he as a person was someone, yes, he was, it was uh, definitely uh, flamboyant. Uh, and as I, I believe I make clear in the memoir, he, he was also quite reckless. Yeah. Yeah, that's very clear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went with flamboyant, yeah. but go, yeah, good. <laughs> but, and, but, and within that too, and I don't, uh, I think this is in the book too, there was a certain attractiveness in it because yeah, everything was, was, you know, was just excited uh, yeah. around him. No day was like the day before. Um, and, and you just didn't know, you know, what would, uh, yeah, what, what you could expect it. And as I said, um, just meeting him the, the next day, we, we flew to Puerto Rico. You know, just like that. I mean, I, I, if I say he talked me into it, it I mean, it wasn't like he twisted my arm or, so, or something like that. Just, uh, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, it's like, of, of course, you know, we'll have a great time. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm game. I just like, I, I was open to it. And so that's what we did. There's this sense of just constantly kind of following what's what's in front of you. Like, like it, it, something presents itself and just following this, I've written down the word wanderlust here because it just feels like that, I don't, I don't know, tell me where I'm wrong. No, I, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I, I, I really think that's who I am, you know, yeah. why I'm a, like that. I'm not reckless, you know, I'm not, I'm not crazy, but uh, I am open and um, I have been willing to, take some risk not not uh, again in any way of courting danger or right. uh, you know I, and I certainly wouldn't say I'm edgy you know that, that that doesn't describe me but I think I've been willing to not just you know 
see what's around the corner, but actually go around the corner, you know, and 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 see and experience for for myself. And yeah, I, I yeah, I'm not afraid. That's um, probably what I how I would sum it up. I, I'm just not afraid. Awesome. I I just want to kind of flag this as well from a coaching perspective. It, you've 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 made a lovely distinction here between courting danger and taking risks are actually two very different things very different. so the willingness to take a risk you can be quite, I'm, I'm willing to take a risk but i'm sensible i like to pay my taxes i like to know that things are nowhere where tsunami escape is you know because <laughs> yeah. i live by the sea so yeah. you know um but like that ability to go around the corner and not be afraid that's something and not, like, and not know what's around the corner right i do not know what's there but but, you uh -huh. know, you'll go in and you'll, you'll see, you'll find out for yourself. Love that. Um, so Puerto Rico, and then you find that you're pregnant, but this is something interesting as well, is you mm -hmm. don't then decide to go and get like a one bedroom flat somewhere and, um, you know, <laughs> settle into single mother. <laughs> I look at that laugh that's just... <laughs> like like as if, as if. But a this one bedroom flat, yeah, no, that's... <laughs> But in the normal constraints of a kind of, and perhaps this links back to your, what, by your description, an unusual perspective and experience is like that, that the normal way of being in a family, what, that's not even a, a thing for you. I don't know. So you were just like, right. And now we continue with this. This I loved because so many of my clients and my people and my friends, I'm so very, find it so restricting. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> They find what mother being a motherhood, mother. right? Yeah, no, I don't. And um, if anything, if anything, I would say motherhood has, yeah, just yeah, helped me blossom, help help me, yeah, find um, not not just who I am, but the other people I am. I, I would say that. Um, I didn't think, oh, well, now I, I have a baby. I, you know, I better do this or I better do that. Or, or I, you know, I have to stay in this one place. And as I said, I, you know, I, I do find a, a stable life, um, um, a, a wonderful thing, really, and a lovely thing. And certainly now it's like I've been living, you know, in, in my own home for uh, any number of, of decades. But, yeah, I think having children, experiencing uh, motherhood, really just, uh, again, it's another way to, it opens the, the world uh, to you in, in terms of raising them, what you want them to know, learn, find out about, uh, expose them to, um, how to look after another human being, to see that they're safe, that they're healthy, um, learning to, to be caring, uh, to yeah, to, to find out your capacity for loving, uh, and I, I believe I, I also mentioned mentioned that in the book. And this uh, again, as as a young young woman, I, I don't think I had any inkling of that of that really. Uh, and it was through motherhood, through um, having children and raising a family, that I I feel I was able to. 
Yeah, just a blossom in the world in, in, in a certain way. I don't I don't like the word blossom, but I can't think of something else right now. But uh, flourish, thrive. Uh, anyway, yeah. But I never found it limiting. That's the I, I, uh -huh. I want to make it clear. I never found it limiting. Oh, now I have a child. I can't do this. I can't do that. No, I, I never felt that. Never once. Never ever. Never ever. And and or that uh, um, having a child or having children was holding me back from something, you know, oh, now I can't study or I can't travel or um, I'd really like to, to, to write, for example, but, but um, that, that's not possible. I, if anything, I, I felt and still feel that the responsibilities of, of motherhood, which I uh, fully embrace, that it, it made it possible for me to really think seriously uh, about what my priorities were, what was important to me, and how I could make those work within the framework of the life I'd chosen. You know, no, no one made me be any, uh, uh, one or anywhere or, or, or do anything. This was a, the life I, I had chosen. And yeah, if anything, I became highly organized. I'm a very organized person. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's a bit, been a good thing. And, and within that, I've been able to also um, be creative. And I, I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, and, and another thing that I noticed that it, because uh, I love the cast of characters who come through as well, like that that at that time when you had your baby and you were in Scandinavia, uh, Denmark, I believe, and then you was in France and all these other different places, it's that they also got, the, the people around you also got to come and play a part or that when you're working at the, the college or that the or in the kitchen high yeah. school yeah yeah, yeah that, there, that there was like people who would kind of come in and like they would want to I mean, this was an interesting thing to me as well. Like you'd put the baby outside, right? Or, or for even in the winter. And then when the baby starts crying, you go out and get them. But like people would run to go and get her. And it's just this sense of having that village and community around you. And I know a lot of my, my mama friends here, I don't have kids, but like a lot of my mama friends here have tried, are trying to create that kind of village for themselves yeah. now, because otherwise, especially with the lockdowns over the last yeah. year, they've become quite isolated. So creating these kind of either in-person or online communities where they do help each other in that way. Because I think we got, that got lost somewhere along the line. It really did. And I think it's so important. I think it's so important, you know, uh, I can tell you, Sarah, so many times when I've read some tragic story in the newspaper uh, about a, a mother who's yeah, committed you know, just to the worst crime or you know, committed suicide or you know, um, hurt, abused a, a, a child, my first thought is, where, where is her community? Yeah. Where are her neighbors? Yeah. Did no one hear? that you know the a baby you know crying you know throughout the, the night and obviously you know this mother must be yeah at her wits end or didn't I see her at the store and she just looked exhausted couldn't I just say oh you know you go get your hair done and you know I'll watch your baby for for an hour or two or whatever it is I mean is that we can help and it doesn't it wouldn't 
wouldn't cost you anything. I mean, and, and I and I, I I don't mean in, in terms of, of money certainly, but just you know to be able to to let people know that they're not alone, that they're not isolated, that there is help. We're we're human beings. We sh we share this you know our, our earth together, and and certainly within neighborhoods, we should be able to to reach out to, uh, to people. Yeah, it's something I think we need to unlearn and relearn somewhere along the line because. I think there's also some strange codependence that has emerged in whatever's happened that yeah. if you approach somebody, then they feel like they're being criticized as well. Or, you know, so you might say, oh, I think, oh, shall I back off? I'm yeah, right, right, right. Oh. Funny. You know, like yeah. It, yeah. it's a terrible thing to isolate parents in that way, I think. Yeah, it really um, is. And in a lifetime. So. Then you, so I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit, but you could take it wherever you want to from okay. here is you, you then kind of reconnect with what I would just in my, I read this as being like the love of your life, like whoops, that missed. And then a wonderful Don came into the picture. A beautiful Nanao was, was uh, created. And then you kind of revisited the one. I don't know. So how would you like to take this forward? <sighs> I'm a hopeless romantic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe it, it was one of these things. Again, I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, um, you know, make something happen. And it really is how I, I wrote about it in the book. I, I've been visiting my, my father and um, I had a dream and I, I woke up and, and I just, thought, oh, I haven't seen Billy Anton in a long time. And, and he was a friend, you know, from uh, high school days, uh, a very good friend. And we, yeah, just got, kind of like, you know, fallen in, uh, out of touch. And I, I thought um, I, I'll try and uh, get in touch with him. And, and, and I did. And I would like to say the, the rest uh, was history. I don't want to say too much uh, for people who haven't uh, read the book, but. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, um, it, again, you know, if I say, you know, I, you know, I listened to dreams or, you know, I followed my heart or I, I would seem, you know, I had this intuition, oh, he's the one I, you know, should be with. It sounds like, oh, I'm just, you know, dreaming, you know, uh, off in my head dreaming all over time. So it, it isn't really like that, no. but I do tend to listen to my intuitions and, mm -hmm. I, they're not always right. Mm -hmm. It's not like you know I, I've not made any missteps or or anything. But I I guess I I give them a chance. Mm -hmm. I, I, I I give them a, ch a chance, and yeah, I, I I yeah I don't have much to regret. What can I say? Yeah, I, I really don't. What What I see here is like so. Yeah, it's interesting because it's clear you're not like that's not from the book as well you're not like this dreamy character who just kind of follows their intuition and so on okay. um, but what i see is a corner a corner appears so you have a dream and then a corner appears and then you go around the corner <laughs> this is yeah. kind of how i put this together in in my mind so you then uh, long story short you begin a another journey together right. um one of the things that is really big in this is uh, macrobiotic food and food and organic food. And there's a whole, and, um, and this is where the connection to Japan begins. Could right. you tell us a bit about that? 
Right. Well, my husband, um, Billy, William and Anton, was one of the very early members of the macrobiotic uh, food uh, movement in, in the um, United States. And I, yeah, I can remember, again, he was still in university when I went to visit him uh, once, you know, we were good, good friends and I went up to, to visit him and it was just after this time when he had embraced the macrobiotics and yeah, it was, he was just you know, full of enthusiasm for it and, you know, decided it was the best thing ever. And I remember we were up late uh, talking as we often had and he was um, sharing a house with uh, two or three roommates. And at one point, and it was really uh, quite late at night, he held up, a, he went to the freezer. Uh, uh, we were uh, sitting in the, in the kitchen and he went to the freezer and took out a container of ice cream. And I don't know, maybe he had clowns on it or balloons or something like, like that, you know, very, very uh, bright colored. And then he held up a pressure cooker of brown rice. And he said, and I can quote him, and this is, I mean, I, I think he was 18 or, uh, and I was 17 at the time, said, um, which one is food? Which one would you rather eat? Well, actually he said, which one would you rather eat? Which one is food? This, this is how he uh, impressed upon me that yeah, wholesome, uh, unprocessed food, simple food was the, the best thing that you could uh, put put in your body. I mean, I, and it's it's not like I became macrobiotic overnight um, when he um, did this, but it, it, it made an impression on me. Yeah. yeah, it's making an impression on me now as well. And um, you know, it's interesting to note that that kind of that kind of work with your hands mm -hmm. can take you anywhere, right? If you can write, it takes you anywhere. If you can uh, cook, it takes you professionally. And you have the the will and the the you know the 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 will to 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 do that. It, it can take right. you anywhere. I recently read a, a another New Yorker's memoir. And she's a hairdresser and she said as long as i can stand and hold a pair of scissors i can do anything oh. i can have nothing and i can do anything and i just i love that notion that whatever you have your skill can right. take you anywhere you know she was a drug addict she lost everything but she says as long as i can stand with a pair of scissors i can do anything and i love that idea so this this um cooking and and your your skill and your uh your drive and your your ability to do anything took you wow. across Europe, um, over land. Now, this is where my journey with you has, end, has, has, has paused. I'm going to get back into this and try and finish it this week so I know what's going on. Please don't worry about spoiling the book for me because it's going to be okay. amazing anyway. <laughs> I know you're or, in Japan. Or, yeah, or for people who may uh, yes. read the book. Yes, that's right. So without giving away too much detail, you mm -hmm. arrived in Japan in 1975. Can you fill in a bit of that for us? Right. Okay, well, in 1974, uh -huh. um, Billy and I were living in, in Vermont. Um, right. the, well, so cold, that's all I could think, so cold. <laughs> un unimaginably cold. <laughs> 
the wet feet. Oh my God, it's so visceral. That part was so visceral to me. Ah. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do it now. We're living in Shizuoka where we don't, we don't even have snow ever. No. So, um, but yeah, we were living in Vermont and he got the invitation to study in, in Japan. Macrobiotics. Um, well, ma macrobiotics, but also um, I would say traditional uh, Eastern healing methods like acupuncture, moxibustion, and, and things like that, yeah. and martial arts and yoga at this uh, yoga dojo. Okay. And um, he, he asked, you know, if I would go uh, with him, and I, I basically said, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you know, and we decided we would do that. But instead of going straight to Japan, which we could have done, just mm -hmm. flown from New York City um, or Boston um, in, into Tokyo, we decided we'd go over land. So we went first to Europe, bought a Volkswagen Bug, and then traveled around Western Europe, you know, through England and Wales and Scotland, and Norway, Denmark, Let's see, where else? France. I, I, you know, I almost forget. But then we drove um, straight across northern Italy, um, um, across the former Yugoslavia, country that no longer exists, yeah. to Bulgaria, to, um, Turkey, Iran, and Afghanistan. And then we took public transportation through Pakistan, India, Nepal, and Thailand. So, and arrived in Japan on June 1st, 1975. Amazing. How old was your daughter at this point? She was five. Five, I mean, with a five-year-old, I mean, that that's an incredible journey on its own, but with a five-year-old in tow, yeah. it just makes me feel like you've really ignited a little flame inside of me to, I don't know, just to follow my curiosity a little bit more. Mind you, my curiosity leads me to these interviews. So um, yeah, a, a lot um, of people, a lot of people who who read the book, uh, that's what what they say. That, yeah, they feel, oh, okay, yeah, if, you know, I can do that, or yeah. it's okay to even still want to do that, yeah. or I may still do that. Yeah, that that it, it's possible. Yeah. It's absolutely possible. Yeah. Okay. So you arrive in Japan, and again. Like, what was your, did you have any plan at that point? Did you know what was going to happen? Did no. <laughs> so, uh, so you haven't yet um, um, read the part about the dojo, but th this, this um, experience of, of studying martial arts and traditional Eastern healing met methods and yoga, um, et cetera, was, the program was for one year. His, his, uh, his scholarship was for one year. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I write about the dojo experience in some detail. And mm -hmm. I, I hope you'll enjoy that chapter when there are actually several chapters when you come to that. But after it was over, and because it was really a very strict and proscribed in, in environment, um, we just realized we barely glimpsed Japan. You know, we were in the dojo that was, you know, our, our, our life. And Where was the dojo, Karen? Which part in, of it? In, in um, Shizuoka Prefecture in, in, in Mishima. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we, well, we just said, you know, let's stay a little longer. Yeah. 46 years ago. Yeah, 20 years for me. So <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. You're my, you're my grandmaster. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's like I came yeah. for a year. 
Yeah, there, there you have it. Yes, yeah. the famous last words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful as well. I love it here. You know, yeah. it has it. I know it. I know her flaws, but yeah. I'm also happy yeah, to be here. Some things, yeah, some things that are not planned still work out. Yeah. Well, there, there you have it. In any case, yeah. I, after the dojo, um, yeah, we wanted to stay in Japan, but we knew we didn't want to be in one of the large cities. We, we didn't want to live in Tokyo or Kyoto or Osaka, um, any place like that. And we were able to decide on this area, which, which is where we still live, uh, Shizuoka, north of Hamamatsu, mm -hmm. uh, when my husband found work in, in the city of Hamamatsu. And yeah, we, we found a farmhouse and that's Breast Pocket Mountain. It's called Futokoro Yama. And that's from how I yeah, came up with, with the title for the book. Futokoro Yama. It's, if I look out my window <laughs> and look, yeah, let's see, from here it would be west, northwest. 20 minutes up the road is where we lived for seven years in an old uh, farmhouse, traditional farmhouse, um, quite rustic. No is it this one? That, that's it. Yes. Okay, so it's on the it's on the sleeve of the it's on yes. the sleeve of the book, the cover of the book, I should say. Right. Yeah, right. that looks absolutely like that. Just looks magical to me. That looks like something like out of my imagination or out of a Miyazaki film. Magical, but it was also uh, quite isolating. <sighs> Yeah, I'm really, really isolated. Um, our neighbors, all, all of our neighbors were, were farmers. Um, there were no, well, certainly no, no, no foreigners or anything like that. But, but there, but there weren't even you know people to spend time with or socialize or anything like that. I, I spent a lot of time alone, and for the most part, it, it wasn't a, a problem. But after seven years, uh, um, it became uh, too much. How did you get through that time, Karen? How did you manage that time? Uh, uh, food? No, how did you manage that time? How did you get through? Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I, how did I get through? Yeah, I just, um, yeah, my own inner reserves, um, you know, um, I, I, again, I, it wasn't like I was forced to be there. You know, I, I, I loved it. it, was a beautiful place. It was a wonderful place to, um, raised children. Our second daughter was born while we were there. Our son was was born there. Um, it, it, you know, if you saw it, well, you can see part part of it. You know, uh, from looking at, at the back cover of the book, but it was just you know panorama of idyllic. Yeah, tea bushes and bamboo and you know forests and woods. It was really beautiful and. You know, you could, you could literally see forever because we were so high up. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was living in a, in a really wonderful environment. It's just some, sometimes, or for some people, the environment is not enough. And, no. Yeah. And when my fourth uh, daughter was born or about to be born, I, I realized, yeah, we've done this enough. It, it, it isn't working. But all, and also we were far from the city where Bill was working and um, he was driving over an hour every day to work and then over an hour back. And yeah, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, 
let's say it wasn't helpful to our relationship to say the very least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, it was testing. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's interesting because I'd love to go in that not into your relationship a bit more, yeah. but it just must have been so like a little place like that in the mountains. Like, I mean, my my I, I'm in a, a mixed relationship. My husband's Japanese, that's why my surname's Furuya. Uh -huh. The listeners they probably know that already. But um, you know, we have our family has a, a farm down in Hyogo Ken in the deep Inaka, which means countryside, right? Uh -huh. Beautiful. And we have flirted with the idea of going down there and doing something with it. But I know like 10 seconds later, I just know that that would be a one-way trip for me <laughs> to, 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 to crazy town because oh, okay. the sadness, like I, I, like I like to have at least some people around me kind right. of thing. And also that we would just be such an incredible curiosity in those towns. Now, speaking of a curiosity, these two Americans kind of land in this super isolated place in the Shizuoka countryside. Like, what was like from the perspective of being there's a there's a there's an interesting experience of being a foreigner in Japan. It's just part of being here, right? We can right. be part of the fabric of the society, but it's it could be the knot you tie on the back or that stitch that sticks out a bit on the tapestry. I don't know how exactly to describe it or where you ran out of the right color. So you went for one that was just close enough, but you can still right. tell, I don't know how to describe it, but right. how was that being these kind of like boom, people in the in the local local community? Literally a plop down in the middle of a uh, farming community. And as I say in the book, I don't know what made us think we could uh, make a life there, but we did. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I would never say we, we were never a curiosity because these were farming people. These were country people. They, uh, um, they may have been curious uh, uh, about us, but it wasn't like, uh, you, you know, uh, you can only see them from afar. It's a community. So, you know, there are always community, um, yeah, chores and things you needed to participate in and, and, um, yeah, even if it was just you know the the, the summer festival or what whatever it, it, it was, but yeah, um, yeah, I I can't say how how they uh, perceived yeah. it because you know, it, you know it's from their perspective, but uh, yeah, I ju I just feel we were able uh, to, to make a life there, you know, uh, somehow. Of, of course, we were unusual. We were different. Um, I also write about the fact that our uh, first daughter born here didn't speak English. Yeah, and we were concerned that she wouldn't speak Japanese because we don't have uh, any uh, Japanese family mem members or, or, or relatives and didn't know at the time that um, children will naturally speak the language of the country where they live. I would have had to go out of my way for her not to speak Japanese. So she, uh, she did, and because you know we were just so different, I, we didn't want to put any pressure on her to speak our language. You know, um, children can, yeah, I think become really self-conscious. You know, especially once they're in school. You know, their parents show up for the PTA meeting or the, you know, the meeting with the teacher. And then, you know, they see their child in the schoolyard and start speaking to them in English. 
and you know the kids want to look away like you know i don't know who that strange person is or whatever yeah so we we just um decided to to let her uh speak uh in japanese i always spoke to her in english she always answered answered me in, in japanese and just just the way we did it uh, right up until she was in junior high school mm -hmm. i'm seeing uh this unusual continuum because <laughs> you, everything's unusual right even from when you were born everything was unusual it's almost like like what 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 even it, it that's the norm and, yeah. and i'm loving it i'm i'm really i don't know something's settling in for me here so i'm going to keep digesting it and ask you to 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 tell me what what happens next so you've got is it four or five children i, I have four children three daughters yeah. and a son uh-huh and so you moved out of the uh breast pocket mountain and then moved what further into the into the town yeah we moved into the city of hamamatsu mm -hmm. where you live now um this is now considered the city of Hamamatsu because they um what they merged uh Gapeshita you know the um be, uh was absorbed <laughs> I don't know what to say by Hamamatsu and no no doubt because of you know, these areas are depopulated mm -hmm. but uh, we live actually in, in the what was the city of Tenview when we were still at Breast Pocket Mountain, that was considered that was called the city of Tenview. Mm -hmm. But I can I assure you, it's not a city. Ah. <laughs> not a, at all. And, and even um, you know, now we live in a, a residential subdivision, or uh, we'd say Jutaku Danchi, mm -hmm. single family homes. But if I drive 10 minutes into the little town here, uh, there is no bookstore, there is no supermarket now, there, there used to be, uh, there's certainly nothing like a cinema. Um, I can, I almost could only tell you all of the things that it doesn't have, because it, it, there, there isn't any, any even that, it, that it really does have stuff. When did you start writing in earnest? I, I probably, I would say when the, I started publishing in, in earnest, when I, began writing first for the Chunichi Shimbun and then later for the Japan Times. But I had been writing, I would say most of the time I was at Futokuroyama, uh, at Breast Pocket Mountain. It was yeah, one of the things I did. Um, I would, yeah, I didn't have a typewriter. My husband would borrow a typewriter from a friend in town and bring it. Uh, home and I I type up anything I I'd, I'd written uh, over the weekend and then take it back on, on on Monday. That that's what I what I did. In fact, I the typewriter that I'm typing at there uh, on the cover uh, of the, the book is one of those um, typewriters that he borrowed. Wow. Yeah. I'm just showing the cover of the book now, just mm -hmm. in case anybody's watching this on YouTube. Okay. Um, I really be I love this. Uh, I love this little specter in the background. Right. Is that that's, your that's our, yeah, that's our daughter Mia. She was, uh, and if you look closely, you can see she has uh, an angry look on her face because probably I told her to go away for something while I was writing. Funny, because uh, I, I I read that as little you hanging around somehow. But yeah, no, that's that's uh, we can all have yeah. an imagination. <laughs> 
um good and um, so then tell bring us up to date then like what what does life look like or is there anything in between that you think i should i should know here or what's it like like it just seems that you've integrated so easily into i don't know if it's i don't know if, if an integration is exactly the right word i think it mm. kind of is we don't uh, assimilate. yeah we, yeah it's it's not integration is not assimilation i'm really you know i I, I don't know that I've ever named it. Let's just just no. Um, yeah, I, I I feel that um, yeah we were able to settle here, to exactly. create a home here, to raise a family here, to uh, to work here, um, and and th this is the situation <laughs> that we're in. Maybe we, we could be in Norway. I, I, I honestly do, do not know, but it happens to, to be in rural J Japan. And yeah, now, now this, this is my normal. Yeah, what can I say? Yeah. What, so how would you describe your relationship yeah. with Japan? To, uh, to Japan, to the country, to the people? Uh, yes, one of those, or like uh, to Japan yeah. herself, or to, to um, yeah, like, yeah i often think about this yeah. um it's just yeah i talked about with this with the last interview i did as a little bit as well but yeah this is well this is home yeah I mean, this is home um and it's the home we've created yeah and so it's the place where i'm most comfortable mm -hmm. and and i i never talk about love of country it's no. just something I, I, I don't uh, do. Uh, no. I love people, uh -huh. but I, I, I don't uh, speak of that. But that is not to, to say that um, I find so much that is wonderful here, so much that I enjoy, so much that I've benefited from in terms of my own uh, personal development. Um, there's so much I appreciate about Japan, really uh, deeply. Of course, the culture, and um, I, I, as as you know, I've studied uh, calligraphy, and that that's opened a, a door on a, on a particular uh, aspect of Japanese culture for me. That yeah, it's you know, it's it's a passion of mine. I absolutely love calligraphy. But yeah, it's, I think more than, um, yeah, it's not more than that, but it's a Japanese way of living that I, I just appreciate so, so much. There, there's so much calm and order and the lack of chaos that I see so, in so many places in the world that uh, I, I embrace it. I, I, I must say, I, I totally embrace it. I, and and it goes without saying Japan isn't perfect. You know there are many uh, ways it, it can improve. As anyone who's read my columns, uh, where I would often write um, columns that were critical of some aspect of Japan, particularly the, the education um, style of education. I I, I would say uh, I I wrote a lot about that, but. Yeah, overall, I, I think um, Japan has got a, a lot right. It, it, um, it has um, 
create a, a created a, a wonderful society in, in many ways. And I often I think the if um, yeah if people were more yeah yeah I'm not sure how to say this. Um, almost valued themselves as highly as they appear to, you know, value their society and uh, work, for, for example, I, I, I feel th this would practically be a, a, a paradise. And, mm. um, you know, I, I've also worked in, in the corporate world and as a coach. And one of the things I, you know, have to, to tell people, Japan cannot be proud of the fact that it has uh, a word and probably the only country in the world that has a, a word for death from overwork. Oh yeah. 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 Karoshi, it's, um, it's not, it's, it's not a, a, a good thing. And, 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 and I, and I feel well, and now with the pandemic, I, I think people are, have started to see and certainly companies have, have started to see, well, actually how we've been working it's not not uh, not only is it not the best way, but there are other ways, and some of those other ways are actually better and more productive and more effective. And you know, we we do not have to use up our employees. So we, we can we can yeah you know we can be better. We we can uh, work with our our employees instead of just having them work for us beautifully put my my husband um left his job earlier uh, uh mid pandemic last year because again the demands that were being put on him were just really in fact they were forcing him to go to shizuoka from sushi yeah. all week and he just went do you mind if i leave my job <laughs> and i was like no go ahead <laughs> yeah so um you know um so then I invited him to join my business and start to clean that up on the back end a little bit because, you know, he's really good at that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So much to unlearn, Karen, so much to unlearn. And it was a, it was, you yeah. know, Japanese companies that he'd worked for throughout and it's, it's a great shame. It's a waste. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's a brilliant, talented, lovely man, but just so, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, what you've just said there, like, um, and, and as a coach as well, you know, I'm, I've just booked us in with a different coach because otherwise I take over all the time. <laughs> you can imagine, can't you? So um, coaches need coaches. And so that not not a therapist or a counselor or anything like that. Uh, a coach who can help yeah, us no, it's set very... up our kind of union together and how we can kind of achieve the dreams that we want to achieve in the future right. without, you know, battling, battling it too right. much. Um, and especially me bulldozing him because he's a lot more introverted than me. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, I'm a bit, I feel sad about that. Yeah. I'd say angry, but it's not angry. It's just sad. I feel so, I just think like, oh, wow, they didn't let you shine. Something like that anyway. Well, but, but you're still relatively young and I don't know your husband's age, but you know, it's still so much, you know, you can accomplish it. And, and how wonderful he was able to make make this change yeah. absolutely absolutely um 
So I, I, there was one more question I want to ask you here. And this is a difficult mm. question because it's almost a wordless answer, I think. Sure. So calligra calligraphy opened a door to Japanese culture. Now I hear this a lot mm. um, about any, um, I was talking to um, Chuck Johnson, who was one of my previous um, people. And he was talking about how he learned kimono mm -hmm. and how that also like, it's a similar, I, I would hazard to say that any of the really traditional arts of Japan require this. There's something, can you describe what, uh, what you meant yeah. by that? Yeah, um, I mean, in just so many ways, first, first of all, just the relationship that you have, that it's not even that it's created, but it's, it's already in place really, and, and you have to fit into it. Uh, but this relationship with a sensei, you know, that, you know, um, the regard that they're held in, what, what you, I would say early on realize that they have a knowledge, an ability, a skill to, to impart uh, to you. And that the best thing you can do is to be a devoted student and of course, you, that that could also uh, you know, become you know warped, it. and and I, I felt that that's what had had happened at the dojo with the, the martial arts study. But with uh, my original uh, calligraphy teacher, and and you, you'll come to that um, chapter in the book. He didn't even talk. <laughs> he didn't explain to say, "Oh, this is how you do this," or "This is you know." Uh, the way you should hold the brush or, you know, the ink should be rubbed to this thickness. We really had to look, watch, pay attention and observe him and apply yourself in you know, the, the deepest sense of, of those, those words that uh, it wasn't going to be an instruction of you know, follow this, you put your, you know, your brush here and you do that. And then you, um, you, you know, then go to the next stroke in, in this way. It was literally watching him and seeing this perfect flowing really of the brush and how the strokes were made. It was almost as if there, there weren't, there wasn't another way for it to be. And, and that's what, you know, we were, were striving for um, a, a, as students. It's, it's a wonderful um, practice. Uh, what can I say? I, I, I did achieve uh, Nidan uh, and it's um, took many, many years. I, I uh, was studying for, uh, I guess, 25 years uh, anyway. And I could have gone on to study for the third degree uh, Sandan when you're, when you'd be able to teach if you uh, have Sanda. But I can't imagine <laughs> I would want to teach calligraphy in Japan. <laughs> and since we're, we're not uh, leaving here, I, I just didn't see that there was any point to continue to study, but I, I, do, I do still write. I, I, I write regularly. Yeah, there's there's something there's probably a word for that flow state you mentioned there in Japanese. Do you know if there's a word for that or is it just a wordless? Yeah, if there is a, a word, um, I really don't know what what it is, but I, I 
I do know that in order to, to write, and I, it's not even so much like write well, but just to be able to write, you really have to focus, you really have to concentrate, you know? And I, I think some people, well, many people have said to me, oh, it just looks so relaxing and that you're just, you know, I'm just using the pressure or whatever. It is, yeah, especially if, you, if we were writing, you know, for an exhibition, you might write uh, 50 characters of a 60 character piece and get to the 51st one and you make a mistake and that's that you gotta start all over again. That's, that, that, that's all, I mean, there's no correcting it or anything like that, but yeah, but that's the kind of dedication that I, I think it requires. And if you enjoy it as I do, then you, you apply yourself to it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's very telling of Japanese kind of roots, but also I think it's telling of something that um, you can relearn that kind of, that you say dedication or devotion as well. And the regard for sensei, that regard yeah. reminds me a little bit of what you were saying earlier about that inherent respect that you had for your dad um, as just part of that generation. Oh, really? Then another thing I would say too, in terms of um, the opening a door or, or, uh, onto Japanese society and, and, and culture. When I was doing corporate training and coaching, one of the areas that I worked with people in was a sort of communication. Mm -hmm. And you know, many Japanese would would say, and of course they're known not to be assertive in, in, uh, in communication and in, within the Japanese context, it was not required. But, you know, working for some of these companies where, yeah, the CEO would fly in from New York or London or, you know, wherever, and, and gather the people around, you know, for a uh, a, a once in, in a not once in a lifetime, but you're not going to have the, this meeting with the CEO on a regular basis. They expect people to speak up, yeah, and, and give opinions, ask, ask questions, uh, express uh, doubt about, about things, disagree, and and they couldn't do do any of that. And very often they would tell me, oh, Karen, but you don't know as a Japanese, you know, we, we can't do that. And, you know, because of our relationship with, you know, people who are in, in a higher, you know, uh, position or, or, or status, this, you know, is impossible. And, and I understood, I, I understood well, but I said, but it's possible to make that switch, to change just for, the, for, for this time even. And, that it could be a benefit to you. Maybe, maybe you've been over, overlooked when you should have been promoted. You know, who knows? It, it, it could be helpful to speak up. And I would use the example I, that um, when I, in my calligraphy class with my teacher, everything about me changes. I'm no longer, you know, the American woman who was, you know, speaks loudly and walks with a wide stride or, or, or whatever it is, your head's a little bit bowed. You, you lower your, your voice, you sit seiza um, until you, you can't do it any, any, anymore. And 
just the interaction with, with the, the sensei completely changes. And, and that's what that environment required. Yeah, it's it, it, one has to humble oneself to the to the situation, yeah. I think, and that goes both ways. Even 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 though assertive communication doesn't necessarily sound humble, you have yeah. to humble yourself to that style of communication yeah. and back the other way. We're quite the chameleons, aren't we? <laughs> in our uh, in our <laughs> the way that we we move through the world. Lovely. Um, so Karen, what's next for you? I'd like to land now. What what's what's next? What's your next ambitions as you enter your seventy-six well, well, year? Yeah, I I've been asked, you know, what's my next project, and I I never speak about that because it, I I feel it has a way of making things not happen. Okay. I but I usually. Um, yeah, I have something that I'm um, planning or, or that I want to do. And once it's uh, become clear to me how, how I'll begin it, then I'll begin. But on, and, and that's just in, in terms of my writing and my professional life. But like everyone else, I'm waiting for this uh, plague. <laughs> <laughs> to be over so we can travel it, I, that's um, been very yeah d difficult just because I, it's something I enjoy yeah. so, so, so much and I don't want to complain too much because I know people have you know had some very uh, difficult uh, circumstances and I, I, I'm one of the, the fortunate ones to, to have a home and to to be away from the, the city and not, not concerned really uh, uh, about that, yeah, it, that we, uh, and, and I, I have to be careful in saying this, that we might contract it, but because I know it's everywhere uh, really, but we are really so far uh, removed that it's, it's been comfortable. It, it hasn't been, you know, a, yeah, a, a real you know, task or something really difficult for us, not to mention, I, I was already living like this isolatedly, uh, not the same as living on Breast Pocket Mountain, but, but still this is, uh, I'm pretty isolated, so uh, I'm used to it. And just, yeah, being able to spend time with family and friends. And I, I know some people have said, oh, now that they've gone through this, they'll know what's really important, spending time with, with, with family and friends. I already knew that. So um, I will just re resume uh, that life. Beautiful. Where would be your first port of call when you are like able to travel? Either Israel or Portugal, Spain, and Greece. Huh. Okay. Um Another quick question. Your children, where do they live? Okay, our eldest daughter lives uh, outside of New York City on, on the uh, Atlantic coast the, in the Hamptons. I don't know if she yes, knows. Yes. She, she lives there. Our second daughter, second and youngest uh, daughter, both live in, in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. um, 
both directors at um, major companies there. Mm -hmm. And our son is in Kyushu. Oh, I love Kyushu. Yeah, yeah I, I do too. And especially, well, now the, the uh, cherry blossom season is over, but the cherry blossoms there seem to be something different yet than, okay. than, than, than in other places. You know, they're really, really beautiful. Great stuff. And, you know, it's um, my mum is a similar age to you and had me at a similar age to you had your first daughter. And I think it's just so lovely. We have so long with you. So, you know, like I have friends who are the similar age to her because, you know, when we're in Japan, we just end up with this really like very diverse group of friends. Right. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I just think it's such a treat that we get so long with you when you have uh, when people have kids uh, young. Um, I would love to close out then by asking you if there's any chance you could read a little excerpt from your book for us. Sure, I'd be happy to. It's been such a treat, Karen. Thank you so much. What a, what a fabulous journey. And I'm sure the listeners are just like, what just happened? What a buffet. Oh. <laughs> so, um, okay. I will read from this part of the book where I speak about my life in Japan as a mother. Gorgeous. In Japan, I felt that a mother is not just a private role within one's family, but a public one as well. There were ways you were expected to behave, speak, and yes, dress. All news to me as my mothering style, reflecting my general lifestyle, could probably have best been described as freewheeling. One of the few times I rebelled against what I saw as insufferable conformity was when I wore a beige dress to our daughter's elementary school graduation. I knew, I'd been told, all the mothers would wear black. I'm sure it seems like a small thing, but when you see that graduation photo, it's obvious I was announcing loud and clear, I'm a rebel. I not only march to my own drummer, but the last thing I will do is what everyone else is doing, just because that's how it's done. Uh, that was the early me. I later fell in line, at least to some extent. Lest my children pay the price for my showing up at PTA meetings and on open school days, not as their mother, but the foreign woman who was obviously different, I had to stop with my, I'm doing my own thing stance. The first thing to go were my dangling earrings. Later, the long skirts I'd bought in India were the only worn at home. I remember our daughter telling me that when I go to PTA meetings that I should be sure to dress like the other mothers. Innocently believing I'd blend in. I showed up dutifully making no effort to blend in, just not stand out. And I had to learn that as a mother, there are always duties and no escape, nowhere to run or hide when my card came up. Although it took years for this to sink in, I did come to see that it was impossible to live in a Japanese community and not accept this basic fact. Your turn will come. Every time I was told that I'd been selected for yet another committee, my first reaction was, and without fail, no way. 
but this was followed and with lightning speed by the realization that it was my turn. I wasn't even dreaming of actually saying, no, I won't do it. I got to know local women, other mothers, through our many community activities. These neighborhood women were the same ladies I once got together with for a bonenkai, a year-end party. I've been to many Japanese parties and the simplest thing I can say is we just don't mean the same thing when we use that noun. But this particular party turned out not to be just a fun get together, but a total blast. Housewives <laughs> and mothers one and all, our women only party was a potluck dinner. And it was a delicious, if somewhat mixed bag feast of pizza, fried oysters, salads, baked stuffed fish, and chocolate cake. I was the only one to bring a traditional dish, oden. Simple and what I'd fed the family before going to the party, this clay pot stew of fish cakes was eaten up immediately. Do you have any dance music? Someone asked me after someone else had put on music that had the refrain, Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> dance music? I couldn't conceive of a party without dance music. I was home and back in a flash with LL Cool J, Hammer, Tina Turner, Salt and Pepper, Marvin Gaye, and Prince. I put on the cassette and within minutes, the fluorescent lights were turned off and someone plugged in a thing that looked like a crystal ball and stood on a chair twirling a flashlight while calling out, let's disco. <laughs> With a lot of loud laughing and talking, it got positively boisterous. There was sweating, taking off of sweaters and general letting down of hair. And well, they could, there wasn't a man in sight. We could never act like this if our husbands were around, my neighbor said. They just wouldn't like it. And we'd never feel so comfortable. And even if our husbands pretended to enjoy it, you can be sure they'd complain about it the next day. Anyway, we wouldn't be comfortable acting like this around her. Considering the degree to which they were letting it all hang out, I asked her if they didn't feel pent up all year long. After all, year-end party means just that. Oh, no, no, no. Our husbands expect us to be neat, quiet, and well-behaved, and we're used to it. It's no problem. I couldn't have been more different from these women. What they could accept in their marriages, I would have found not just stifling, but unbearable. Yes, we were very different, but here we were, women on the loose, escaping mothers, housewives going to hell, partying our butts off. Like I said, it was a total blast. Oh, I love it, Karina. And that was a total blast. And that was just, you've just taken us through a kind of a boot camp of Japanese culture there. And uh, nothing is as it seems and everything is waiting to be discovered. Um, love it, love it, love it. And um, MC Hammer, that was my first dance at my wedding. Oh, <laughs> my husband and I found it really hard to take ourselves seriously. So that's what it was, but it just instantly brought an amazing amount of joy into the room. As you have today, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a, a joy, a treat. Um, I would recommend, I, I'm going to have a date on that sofa now with this book. <laughs> I, I would really, really recommend 
anybody get hold of it by the we we haven't mentioned what happens in the first page but you will be hooked from the first page karen was not wrong when she said that i feel like i've just had the greatest mentorship in how to lead my life in japan already i know that you know i will never blend in but i don't essentially need to stand out in the situations where i don't need to stand out okay. and it's just it, there's just such an incredible amount of wisdom but not sage wisdom not kind of showing wisdom and i i absolutely loved you taking us on this journey please get karen's book it's so good it came to me really quickly through um uh amazon if that's your you know if that's if that's something you don't like to use amazon please try and find a different place to get it in japan it's also at kinokuniya Oh, is it still? It's at Kinokuniya as well. So go to Kinokuniya and buy it if you want to do an in-person thing, if you're ready for in-person shopping now. Um, as you can see, I've got it well marked here with all these different things. And I wish I could ask Karen to just read each piece here. <laughs> I'd be happy to. <laughs> well, mate, that could be another podcast. I need to let you go now. But everything and just about being a woman in the world and a person in the world and the way you talk about motherhood I think it's going to be so useful to so many people who I work with so I thank you so much Karen for thank coming on so today much, it's been a pleasure yeah and um <laughs> there are many ways to lead a life Ta-da! <laughs> and um everybody has stories and it's my great honor and pleasure and and humble humble duty to tell them for you so Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. You can find Karen at, where do we find you, Karen? Karen? KarenHillAnton.com. KarenHillAnton.com. And that's where she you can find out the news and where to buy the book. So thank you so much again. Bye. Bye now. Thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the Sarah Furuya Legends podcast. Hop over to sarahfuruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, Legends interviews and conversations. Also, you can like and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I absolutely love these interviews and these conversations I have with these people. I don't care about subscribers if I'm absolutely honest. It just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not. But these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Furuya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Furuya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.